tracking along with this guy named Nehemiah. And the reason he's important to us is not just because he's a historical figure, uh, but he was a guy that God used in a powerful way uh, for something that God was building. And it started really simply the way that God moves of God always start. It happened in a moment when the brokenness of the world became very real to him and very personal to him. Uh, it was not just him walking through the world with blinders on. It was him being coming engaged spiritually and personally and emotionally uh, with the reality of the brokenness of the world. And so it started in an anonymity. He was a cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes, who was the Persian king. Uh, we're about... 140 years into uh, Babylonian captivity, then the, the Syrians, Babylonians, then we end up in the Persian captivity, and so there's a lot of water under the bridge like that, but the, uh, but the reality of that is this, is that the people of God had lived for quite some time in a broken situation, uh, not living out the blessing or the promise of God for what they were supposed to be to the rest of the world, and so Nehemiah gets burdened for it. The burden and brokenness doesn't stay there, though. Uh, he begins to pray boldly, and he begins to plan boldly, saying, okay, God, break my heart for this. And as God broke his heart, uh, something happened. It became so personal that he said, I've got to be the one to actually do something. I can't just wait for someone else to do something. I can't wait another minute, another day. I've got to have God do something and I'm going to put myself to it. And so he prayed boldly. He planned boldly. But there's eventually, there's a time when God does that in all of our lives where uh, you've got to go public with that. It's got to extend past yourself. And so we see that in chapter 3. We saw him go into Jerusalem. He's got all the resources. God had moved in a powerful way. He gets on the scene. He surveys the wall. He talks to the people. He said, hey, let's rise up and let's begin to build out of this rubble the demolished wall around Jerusalem and its seven gates. And so we ended last week with a group of our people in chapter 3. We kind of used our names rather than the people in chapter 3 names. One is because we can't can't pronounce them. Uh, the other one is because we want to say, hey, personal, personally here, this is us, shoulder to shoulder, uh, next to them, next to them, we're all working toward what God is building. Now, if you've ever got in tow with what God was doing, in step with what God was doing in any level, whether it be personally or whether it be uh, as an extension, as a body, you know, a larger group of people uh, together corporately, then maybe what you've realized is something that the great philosopher Mike Tyson uh, stated uh, some time ago when he said when he said these words, and I'm probably I use my Mike Tyson voice in in, uh, in the nine o'clock service, but I can't do it because it, anyway it's goofy. But basically, is this is everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face, right? Uh, he was asked a question about an upcoming bout between him and another guy named Evander Holyfield. And the thing you know, have to know about Mike Tyson was uh, he was a ferocious boxer. He was one of the youngest heavyweight champion at the time. Uh, he came out and he was just destroying people. Evander Holyfield was another, I mean, high, top-notch athlete. But the thing that was different about them, uh, uh, Evander didn't have the same ferociousness to him. He didn't seem to fight with the same anger uh, and aggressiveness that uh, Mike Tyson did. And so the question was asked to Mike Tyson, hey, uh, this guy that's a little bit more calculated than you, planned out, what do you think is going to happen when he comes in and tries to enact his plan? He says, well, I got one, one plan for him, and the way that we normally demolish plans is we just hit the other guy in the face and they forget their plans, all right? That's the, basically the way it works. And what happened, and what he was alluding to, and what happened in that interview is the same thing that we've experienced, and maybe you've experienced any time that you've tried to make a step into what God wants for your life. Maybe it was personally, where you said, hey, I, 
I need to change some things about my life. I, I need to enact uh, different patterns in my life. I need to start getting into God's Word. And so I'm going to start reading Scripture. Uh, maybe I'm going to start praying regularly. Maybe I'm going to start to go to church regularly. Maybe I'm going to start ministering or serving regularly. Maybe I want to work on my marriage. It could be anything, but anything that's of quality. When you start to move into what God wants you to be and become, whenever God's people mobilize, the enemy also mobilizes. And most people get caught up in the early phases and they get enamored with that, plans and praying and God moves and stuff like that. But something happens when you actually step out. When you get ready to build, the battle starts. And matter of fact, what we're going to learn today is that building itself is a battle. And if you want to be a part of what God wants for you, it's not going to be a walk in the park. It's not going to be one of those things where, hey, man, you just made a decision and everything magically materialized in your path. There's going to be some building that takes place. There's going to be some battling that takes place. And today what we're going to do is we're going to run on a couple of rails as we look at this. Uh, I've been pointing you to these things. One of those is a personal application for you, and I think you can do that. But I'm also going to kind of give you a little bit of application today to us today as journey as a corporate body as a church of what God is doing here. And the reason I say that is because uh, a lot of times we look at God's Word and we say, okay, well, I've got to learn some leadership principles for my life. And you can totally do that. They're eternal principles. They're transferable. You can put them in your life. Uh, they're good leadership principles. You're going to learn from this passage. But the other thing that you have to realize is what we're really talking about is not your career. And it's not necessarily talking about uh, some steps you need to make personally. It's talking about what God is building through His people. And your place in what God is building through his people for his glory. That's what the wall represented. And so today we're going to talk about our wall a little bit. And you're going to draw some principles out. But we're going to watch as the people of God get hit in the face as they begin to do the work. And let's pick up the story. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1. We're going to hit the ground running because we've got a lot of ground to cover. This is what he says happens in chapter 4 verse 1. When Sam Ballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. So here's what happened. you got uh, these guys coming in. Nehemiah marches into Jerusalem. We've got to introduce to some of these characters early on. You can go back and read those or listen to those messages. Uh, but basically this guy here, Sam Ballot, was a, uh, was a governor of a province at the north end around Samaria at the north end uh, of Judah. And what had happened that uh, in kind of the demise of the wall, the wall had been torn down, is there was a power grab that had happened, and uh, these different provinces and different governors had come in, and they got their, their foot in the door of sorts. They kind of marked off their turf, and they had a little power, section of power, and they liked that because uh, people like to have their area, their area of dominion, their area of domain, uh, where they can do what they want to, and they can reap the financial benefits and all those kind of things. Uh, uh, people look to them for power, and so Nehemiah coming in Jerusalem represented uh, an onslaught uh, and an attack to Sam Ballot and many other governors and officials' way of life because they didn't know a, a span of time in their existence when the people of God were actually who they were supposed to be and living out of who they were supposed to be, a powerful group of people to become a blessing to the world. And all they had known was a group of people that were weak and feeble and couldn't organize. And so as they watched Nehemiah and these people walk in, they did the natural thing. It's the way oppression, or uh, I would say opposition, always starts, is it starts in conversations. 
Uh, they just got together with the people that uh, agreed with them and had uh, power interests too, and they began to talk about this, this new work in the people of God. And this is the way it always happens. Anytime God begins to move in a people, people on the outside uh, begin to talk about that. And I'm not talking about physical people, all right? I'm talking about spiritual forces. The Sanballat and the others are representative of what we experience today that Paul talked about in Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the powers of the air, uh, wickedness and high places. That Everything that we see here, we're not fighting people. We're fighting for people, but there are forces against us. It's the same thing that Peter talked about in 1 Peter when he says, we have an enemy that's like a roaring lion who roams around seeking whom he may devour. And what you see here in Nehemiah is the same thing that's reflected anytime God's people mobilize is opposition begins to arise. Anytime that we begin to build something that God is involved in, it becomes a spiritual battle. To build is to battle. Now, I want to qualify that because it's not to build anything. Matter of fact, I would say our spiritual enemy could care less if we plant churches. People say, what do you mean? They could, I think the spiritual enemy could care less if we have more services. Uh, if we have more programs, I think he's okay with that. I think because all those things, while they can be good in of themselves, don't necessarily represent building what God wants to build. It's not really what it's about. I mean, the question of you know, church and who we are today, just kind of as one example. You know, this church, why does Jonesboro need one more church? Well, I would say they don't necessarily need one more church. But what we do need is we need more and more and more churches that are come around an idea that was reflected in Catherine's baptism today. And what was reflected in a group of people going out to Provo to minister to people and to serve people. And to a group of people that come on a weekend and know that when they go back out that they're going to reach people that the church has not yet reached and lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. What is that about? Well, what that is about is that it's about mobilizing around a very clear mission to reach people that the church has not yet reached and lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I kind of emphasize two words on that, uh, to reach people the church has not yet reached. Somewhere over the time in, in our existence, uh, that's our mission statement if you're wondering, uh, somewhere over the time our, our mission statement some, has, has drifted in language in, in some components around here, I've noticed. Uh, at some point it drifted from to reach people the church has not yet reached to reach people that we have not yet reached. And you say, well, that's, that means the same thing. And it, yeah, it may, but it doesn't necessarily because here's the distinction. The reason that we, we assembled as a body here was not so that we could build a name for ourselves and not that we could get people to gather in this place. We have always been about trying to reach people that a normal person that is out there in the world would never think about coming to a church. Those are the people that we're after. Those are the people that we want to bless. Those are the people we want to serve. And let me tell you, whenever you have a mission that's clear like that, that's not just about having church services and building a name for yourself and building bigger buildings, whenever you really begin to grasp and mobilize around reaching people and serving people and becoming a blessing to people outside of this place that would never consider coming to a church, whenever we mobilize around that, our enemy mobilizes why? Because that's a threat. And that's exactly what's represented here. 
It was a threat for the people of God to organize around a mission to build a wall around Jerusalem that would give them a national collective identity around the presence of God and what God was doing in the world. And the same would be said true of us. It starts really simple. They just begin to talk, but it had teeth to it. The reason it had teeth to it is they begin to do it in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. He was talking to generals. They were sowing seeds in the, into the future, saying, hey, this may involve military activity. We may have to get physical out here. So while these were just words at this point, you can already begin to see that they have a little bit of teeth. Now with that, this is what he says in following in verse 2. He gives a little bit more position to it. He says, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Here's the, here's the accusation, and it was an accurate one. Sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes the naysayers are not giving wrong information. Sometimes they're giving right information. And they looked at these group of people and they say, hey, man, what are they going to do? And we experienced that same thing. I mean, feeble. When we started out of college students and people were asking, well, how are, how are they ever going to organize? How are they ever going to reach families? How are they going to reach the world? Because, I mean, uh, one, college students don't have any money, right? We know that to be true. I mean, it gets an amen down here in the front section, right? Uh, I mean, they're trying to borrow, scrape up money off the floor mats to buy a taco at Taco Bell, you know. And then, you know, you look at that and say, well, these people don't know each other. And will people, anybody show up to something like that? I mean, how are we going to do this? How is all that going to happen? And, and so some of those accusations on some level were true from a logical standpoint, were they not? These were logical accusations. These feeble Jews, all they had ever known was a group of people with no leadership capacity, no direction, no organization, no power. They had been able to control them politically and militarily, socially. They had divided them out and dispersed them. They had no identity. They were feeble, and it was true. But not just that. Would these feeble Jews be able to finish in a day? They look at these guys, and they're scurrying around like rats, and they're picking up all these rocks, and they're stacking them up, and they're, they're working so fast, the guys watching it would say, well, hey, it's been down for 100 years, and they're acting like they're going to get this done in a day. They're working feverishly. I mean, why now? Why did they all of a sudden care? Why Yesterday, they didn't seem to care, and this guy shows up, and now all of a sudden they care? I mean, they're feeble. Are they going to be able to finish this thing in a day? It's all the naysayers about what God can do through a group of people. But it didn't just start, stop with Samballot. It moved on to some other guys. Verse 3 talks about another guy. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, says, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break it down their wall of stones. And that was true. I mean, they, they had brought all these resources in, but if you remember, they didn't bring rocks in. They brought in wood from the forest, right? Uh, they brought all that stuff in with the beams, bolts, and bars that we talked about last week. That was to fix the seven gates that were in the walls. But all the other material were just the raw materials of a burned and decimated wall that had been laying on the ground in rubble that they had been stepping up and stepping over and walking around for a hundred years. And so the building plan was to pick up broken stones and to lay them on top of one another with whatever hands you have and whatever tools you have to stack them up so that at some point you could begin to put the gates in place. And you can't put the gates in place until you get the rocks up, until you get the walls up. So they began to look at these walls from afar. And they would just, this rubble with these 
stones that by this time over 100 years had broken and become brittle. And they built them up. And the accusation was true. Look at that. I mean, a fox would crawl up on that. How are they going to keep us out? How are they going to keep us from taking over? Because here's what always happens when a spiritual move of God happens. The people on the other side or the spiritual forces on the other side don't want to give up their turf. And they view you and me as feeble, our effort as weak, the ability for us to change the world that is broken seems unfeasible. And then they look at our structure and they say, hey, how in the world is that going to hold any weight? They would, I, I would dare to say that the spiritual forces of wickedness that look at Journey would probably look at us and say, ah, uh, I mean, what do they think they're building over there? What do they think they're doing? They, they get up and make these bold claims about God changing the world and stuff like that. But I mean, I mean, look at them. I mean, look at that place. It's just a little place in northeast Arkansas. Most people don't even around the world don't even know where Arkansas is. Certainly don't, certainly don't know where Jonesboro is and don't know about this little thing called Journey. What do they think they're doing? But the real problem was that they didn't understand something that Nehemiah understood. In verse 4, what did he understand? Well, watch his prayer. This is what he prayed. He said, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insult in the face of the builders. That is a raw prayer right there. That doesn't sound very uh, Christian, does it? I mean, this is the kind of prayer where he turns to God, and what Bronco and I always talk about is like we tell on, tell on each other to God. You know, if one of us makes the other one mad or something like that, we just go to God and talk about it. But that's not the way we normally do things anymore. The way we normally do things is if somebody affronts us in some way, um, we run to the nearest uh, uh, electronic device and nearest social media platform and begin to tell the world of why they're wrong or why the attack on us or it used to be subtweeting. I don't know if people use Twitter anymore, but if you do, you know, it used to be like how they called it subtweeting where somebody would say something about you or did you wrong or something like that and you would you would do this diatribe in 140 characters about who they are and how bad they are and stuff like that without ever mentioning their name because you knew that you didn't want to mention their name because that would be too confrontational, but so you would subtweet them so that they, maybe they would learn, Right? Maybe they would hear it and assume, oh, they're talking about me, right? That's the way we normally do it. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't go to Tobiah and Samballot and say, why don't you talk about me? Do you know that there's some people in your life you have permission not to talk to when they accuse you? You have permission. You can talk to God. Didn't go to them. Didn't also, he didn't go to the people of God and just say, hey, listen, don't listen to them. It's okay. Everything's all right. What did he do? He went straight to God. And he was very raw and honest with God. Some people try to clean this up. Some commentators try to clean this up, and they say things like, oh, man, he was just trying to defend God's honor. I don't think so. I think he was just ticked off. I think he was just mad. And rightfully so. After everything that he had been through, all that he invested in, he just got this upstart. And these people didn't care about Jerusalem, didn't care about the people. He cared about the people, cared about Jerusalem, cared about the glory of God. These people didn't. I think he was just really honest with God with how he felt. And God was big enough to take it in. He prayed, 
And then he turned and he postured himself toward the actual vision, the actual problem, which was not the people at all. The problem was the wall had to be built. The problem was not somebody else that didn't agree with the wall. The problem was the wall. And so what does verse 6 say? Verse 6 says, where he directed his attention, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. What do we learn from that? Well, the wall was being built as we stood here yet last week, and we had people shoulder to shoulder from our church. So it takes people building the wall. And, and, and what had happened was he had organized people into se- sections, and he said, okay, this is your section for you to build. This is your section for you to build. He had organized them around families and the places that were closest to their home, uh, most of them, because it was the one they were personally invested out, and logistically it was easier to build close to your home. And so he did some logical things, some leadership things, but it wasn't the logic or the leadership that got the wall built. It was the heart of the people that got the wall built. Here's what I mean by that. We can have an awesome strategy, an awesome mission statement. We can uh, have awesome programming, an awesome curriculum, but the thing that will build our church is the heart of you and me. The heart of you and me. But this was a dangerous spot for heart work. Why? Because they rebuilt the wall till it was half the height. Half the height in a project is a dangerous place because this is what happens. You, You look back... And you look at what all it took to get here. And you look forward and you see how much work there still is to be done. About a year ago um, or so in my life, um, this is kind of more personal to me. Uh, About a year ago, ago, I asked this question of myself, you know. Uh, I I look back, we're about six and a half years in or six years in into uh, this church's existence. I've been a minister for a while, but this church journey and I look back, and I, and, I, and I was like, man, we've been, been through so much. And people say I've aged a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I think I look okay, but whatever. Um, but I look back, and I was like, man, look at all we've done. Look at all people have come to Christ and stuff like that. But then I looked forward, and I had to ask myself a legitimate question. I said, can I do this going forward? Can I finish this work that you've called me to? And I had to be honest, and, and, and I was honest with God, and I said, uh, man, I don't know, because I'm tired, God. You know, I don't, you don't get real tired in the early stages. You, you don't. You, you get excited. Uh, you live on adrenaline, and you live on the newness of something. But when the newness wears off and the building effort doesn't go as planned, because have you ever tried to build anything? A house, anything, uh, just assembled it from a box and, it, and you had the instructions. It never goes exactly according to plan and, and you got to tear stuff out and it didn't look like what you thought it was going to look like and it didn't quite match up. And it, you step back and you look back and you're like, man, this is not even what I meant to con- really to create, but I'm looking back and now I'm looking forward. And I don't know, can I do this? And about a year ago, I, I asked myself that question. I was like, can I, can I, can I do this? And through a lot of prayer and talking and Bronco and I talking and, and, and our, you know, our family and then the church and stuff like that, I answered the question, yes, I can. Yes, this is what God's called me to do. This is where we're supposed to be. This is where we're headed in the future. But it was not the same adrenaline I felt in the beginning. And some of us think, well, if adrenaline doesn't feel the same, then God must not be in it. But sometimes... Building, especially when things get half the height, 
takes a lot more work. It just looks like getting up every day. It looks like paying bills. It looks like looking at numbers. It looks like meeting with people. It looks like replanning and recalculating and trashing some stuff and starting over. And that's the what happened when the wall reached half its height. And if you're ever going to follow God in a plan, you're going to get to something half the height. And you're going to have to assess. And I'm going to ask you, if you will ask that question, if you call Journey Home, if you'll ask that question. The wall here is half the height. There's a lot of work left to be done. And we could leave it at half the height, but that's not what God called us to build. Some things we're going to have to trash and start over. Some things we're going to have to build up, but there's some things that have to be done, but it cannot be done unless the people work with all their heart. And we live here in seven years into our existence, and the only reason we're here is by the power of God working through the hearts of His people, and that's you. And God has done that. But we've got to ask a question going forward. Because we're only halfway there. And the way I've asked myself the question is this, is if, um, and you can ask yourself this too, but I'm asking myself, is if everybody gave like I give, if everyone served in the manner in which I serve, if everyone applied themselves and ministered in the way and manner in which I minister, what would our church look like? I'm not asking you what you enjoy as a part of our church. I'm asking about your investment and about your heart. And maybe somewhere along the line you got tired, and I get it. You're feeble like me, and it's true. And we work feverishly for a time, and we run out of energy, and it's true. But God is building something here, and it's going to take every single one of us in order to build it. So the way it played out with them was simply this in verse 7 and following. Sembat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry, so it didn't stop, and it actually turned physical. This is what happened. It went from verbal to physical in verse 8 and following. It says, They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it, but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. What do we do? Wall at half the height, not verbal assault, but physical, real stuff in our lives to distract us. What is it going to take? What is the first thing he did? Same thing Nehemiah did. He prayed and then he posted a guard. He prayed, he planned. It's the same thing he's always done. He prayed and he planned. He prayed and he posted. He prayed and he planned. He prayed and he posted. He, he does the same thing. He prays and he acts. And every time God moves in us and we get to half the height and we've got to move forward and the threat comes, we pray first and then we post guards at the gates. We post guard at the walls. What does that mean? Well, watch how this plays out, and we'll drive drive it down deep into us for a second. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said the strength of the labors is giving out, and there's so much rubble, and we cannot rebuild the wall. They were losing energy because they they had been laboring hard, right? Just like what I was just sharing before. And they looked at the rubble and said, we got a long way to go. It's a lot of work. And with that thought in mind in verse 11... And this is what they do. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. This is what happened. All the words and all the threats begin to internalize. Why? Because the way that the enemy always works is not just through the outside. The way he normally works is when we begin to internalize the lies and believe the lies, and it gets a root of fear in us, and we don't move forward because we're too scared of the future. 
what could happen? These people had only known comfort their whole life. The only thing they had known is don't shake things up or the big men will come and get us, all right? They'll take whatever, left, whatever it is we have left. And is that not the way we think? Life is hard enough. We've already spent too much money on other things and too much effort on other things. And now this God thing, they, he wants more from me. The church is asking more from me. I, I don't know about all that. And so I'm just going to back up because I don't think I can go there. And fear keeps us from mobilizing to what God has called us to be. They begin to internalize the lies. So what did Nehemiah do? Well, he reacts as he always does in verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. He took family groups and he put them together. And he said, hey, listen, I'm going to... We've got some exposed places. You know there's some exposed places in our church and in our ministry, right? It's not all, it doesn't all build straight up. I mean, there's some exposed places. There's some spots that are more developed and some that are less developed. And rather than sit here and say, okay, well, there's not, there is. In our church, there's some exposed places. But what do we do about them? Do we complain about exposed places? Do we say, ah, oh, forget the whole thing because there's some exposed places? Or do we instead say, we need to rally around the exposed places and we need to grow and build in those exposed places. We need to build them up in a personal way. The way that personal way happens around here most often is the vision of what we do, which is journey groups. I mean, the only way that we're going to, if the heart of the people is going to carry the day, if that's the way that God's going to move, if that's what he's building, then we've got to be closer in relationship. If that's the vision for what we want to replicate out, we've got to be closer in relationship. And the way that we guard the exposed places is through relationships, through holding one another accountable and helping and encouraging one another. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. He says, let's, let's address the exposed places. Let's don't get caught up in the hype. Let's don't believe the lies. And instead of, instead of believing fear, he says, we're going to act. Instead of pulling back, we're going to up our game. We're going to go forward to the exposed places. Verse 14, after he does that, I looked these things over. I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. He goes on to say this in verse 15 and following. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. God frustrated it. Here's the other thing I just want to throw in here, and I don't have a long time to spend on it, but it, a lot of what I, what I seem to feel a battle in my life and I hear in a lot of others, especially today, is if I give myself to the church and God's work, what's going to happen to my family? But here's Nehemiah's plan, and I think this is true of the church today. Whenever we invest together in what God is building, through that effort, God strengthens our families. When we're really directed by God's vision, then we form a, a solid core of people where you've got other voices. Deuteronomy 6 talks about it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He talks to the nation of Israel, and he talks about raising up children, but he doesn't talk about, hey, just parents raise up your children. I mean, the church is just says, hey, parenting is your job, is not complete. It's your job, and it's our job. We parent our kids together. We raise our kids up together. And how do we do that? By putting them on mission with God, involving them in the mission of God, and God strengthens our families. So we fight as families, and God also protects our families as we fight together. 
So when, when they hear this, the enemies heard that they were in the plot. They got frustrated, and when they returned to the work on the wall, and in verse 16, we'll finish it out with this. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spear shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people in Judah who were building the wall. Get that picture in your mind, and let's finish it out. Those who carried materials did uh, their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. By the man who sounded the trumpet, he stayed beside me. All right? Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and said to the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, and our God will fight for us. Get that picture. Verse 21, so we continued the work with half of the men holding spears and the first light of dawn until the stars came out. They're tired. Now they took their eight-hour workday and extended it until sunup to sundown. At that time also I said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. And then verse 23 says this, neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes even each had a weapon even when he went for water. It was probably a pretty stinky camp, right? Didn't change clothes, vigilant. So here's the deal, all right? You get the picture. We went from insults, right? Possible injury. We get fear rooted in their heart. I don't know about the future. I don't know about that. You got people working with all their heart. You got Nehemiah standing up and saying, listen, let's double the work effort. Logic would assume, hey, let's get in a defensive mode. Let's do prevent defense here. He said, no, let's run the score up. Let's attack. Let's get this together. I want half of you to get a, a shield, a sword, and a bow. And I want the rest of you, the other half, to get the hammer and the nails. And I want us to come together. Nicholas, come here for a second. Come here for a second. And this is what it's like. All right, I just want to wake Nicholas up. That's all that was for. No, he wasn't asleep. Come here for a second. Here's what it's like, okay? Basically, you got half. We're going to represent half of the Jews, all right? You're half the Jews. Congratulations. All right? I'm the other half. And here's the way it worked. Out there's the enemy, Sambalat, Tobiah, all those guys. Behind us is the wall. What's the focus? The wall. What God, God called them to do? Build the wall. Reality was there's enemies out there didn't want that wall built and they were coming to attack them. It was reality. Because that's the way it always works. When we mobilize, God's people mobilize, enemy mobilizes. And so he said, I'm going to put half of you like that. And they worked back to back. And so while people worked on the wall, they had eyes in the back of their head and they had guys, big strong guys like Nicholas over here ready to protect little guys like me while I'm working. And as I'm laying stones, one on top of the other, I know he's got my back. And that means I can full-on work. And I gotta believe this. It's not in the text, but I gotta believe this, that, I mean, if you got a stand, guy standing guard behind you and you got a guy over here sweating, there's probably a time, I don't know, depends on how big and strong you are, probably 15 minutes in for me, where I say, hey man, can we switch? And i got to believe that at some point, they switched. And he knelt down and worked. And I said, hey, let me grab that bow for a second. Let me grab that spear. And I'm watching the horizon. 
for the enemy. And then probably about 30 minutes, hour in, they said, hey, he said, hey, man, I'm getting tired. And so guess what? <laughs> they spun back around and went back to work. Now, here's the deal. First time I've ever preached backwards. <laughs> here's the deal. For us to be who God has called us to be, we need people facing both ways. Because to build is to battle. And to battle is to build. And if you want to be a part of what God is building here, we need eyes in the back of our head and we need hands on the ground. And it's going to take every one of us to build what God's building. And I answered the question for myself. And I'm asking you to answer the question too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that, uh, Lord, you find us and uh, you are the restorer of broken walls. Lord, our, our cry to you is this, is that we, we only want to be about what you're about. Lord, our goal is not to uh, create one more church or one more place or not even create people that like a style, uh, or like a personality or a preacher Maybe even like a program, God. None of those things are strong enough to hold the weight of the task. Lord, you have our heart. You strengthen our heart. You strengthen our hands. And our prayer right now, God, is as a church, you would continue to build us as we labor together. And I'm asking, God, that you would raise up builders and battlers people that are willing to fight, people that are willing to build. God, not for our glory, but for yours. And Lord, we've got a vision here that we want to be a place that is the church, not a place that goes to church. We've said that for a long time. We want to be a kind of place that we reach those that the church has not yet reached. We, we care about the people that don't see any value in the things that we value in this place and talk about. And we don't want to just invite them into this place. We want to invest in their lives and show them the truth of the gospel by loving them. And so we're asking God that you would open those avenues. And as we mobilize God, we, we rally around our great and awesome God. And we know you're going to fight for us, that we have nothing to fear. And so, God, as we go into these next few months, these next three months especially, as we finish out 2017, Lord, we're not going to back up. We're going to double our effort. God, we're going to step into the battle and step into the build. And we're going to put our hands to work, and we're not going to relent, God. And Lord, as we do that, we pray that you would construct something here that would be empowered by the presence of God. And we'd be so careful to give you the praise and the glory for it. So God, what you began to build long ago at half its hot today, we ask you to continue to bless. Re-energize us, God, for the task. Re-energize me. Re-energize every person here. Let's do this together, God, with you alone as our source of strength. In Jesus' name, amen.